Good morning. I'm Jedediah, one of the pastors on team at Pine Lake Covenant Church. This morning, I get the honor and privilege of praying for our dads. Whatever you're called, dada, daddy, papa, old man, we are so grateful for you. And if you're a would-be dad or a could-be dad or a has-been dad, if you're anyone who has walked with someone as a father, today we celebrate you. We're so thankful for all that you have been. If your dad is close to you, I encourage you to lay your hand on him. This was a sign in scripture, an extension of God's love as we pray for people. So feel free to lay your hand on him. If he doesn't like that, maybe give him a fist bump or a high five after the prayer is done. And if your father has passed away, just feel free to hold him in your heart and in your mind as we pray this prayer of blessing together. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for our dads, for our fathers. We thank you, dear God, for their sacrifice and their love, for their commitment to us. We thank you, dear God, for who they are and for their life. We pray that you would bless them and keep them. Surround them, dear God. Help them to know that you are there with them. Help them to know, dear God, that you are for them. Help them to know, dear God, that you are their strength and their reward. Lord, would you just meet them in their deepest longings and fulfill their deepest desires? And would you let their love uh, be something that brings much fruit in our lives? And would you let your love, O oh Heavenly Father, be something that brings fruit in their lives? We offer our dads to you. We are so grateful for who they are. We pray that your goodness would follow them, dear God, this day and all the days moving forward. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Good morning. My name is Gary Brock. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became very angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, after all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Well, last week uh, we looked at the passage that's right before the passage that was read for us this morning at the end of chapter 14 of Luke. And it's one of those uh, amazing calls to discipleship that we have to give up everything. The cost is high. Uh, It's going to cost us our whole lives, really. And that's part of the main thing with Jesus is coming with, with our whole selves to him. But there's another side, and Jesus is bigger than any one story or a part of Scripture. He's, it takes the whole Bible, really, to see who he is. And today we see something extremely wonderful, the beautiful love of God. And when we see the love of God in a clearer way, uh, things we get changed. And the things that we bring to Jesus the way we think about life gets changed. And the way we, today what we're going to see is the way we look at people as either being good or bad. That whole category, that whole system, that scheme, that way of thinking gets radically changed, turned upside down, and we find ourselves in much need of God's mercy and grace. And so um, we're going to look at that this morning. And to get us going, I want to get another scripture from Galatians up there. This is kind of a uh, more of a prop to, to help us evaluate this uh, section. And so it's from Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. We'll get that up on the screen. And I want you to notice the colors there. Those are obviously those are ones I picked out, but and uh, they're red and blue, and it has nothing to do with politics. I'll just say that right now. But uh, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about the fruit of the sinful life. And uh, he begins, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And the reason I put those uh, colors in there is that if you notice, it's it's a kind of a sandwich there, because red, blue, red, but the red sins are the ones that are easy to spot from uh, perhaps a mile away, some of them anyway. And uh, those are 
the the hot sins that we would uh, we could see them and they're obvious and they're outward external and then the blue sins are ones that are more of the heart they're internal and some of them kind of are both but that's the general sense of it and here's the thing uh, i think we all know this and it's it's just something that we have to acknowledge is that those blue sins are much more hidden they're cool in in that they're not is obvious they're 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 uh, they can be hidden and you can be a church member in good standing and have everybody say wonderful things about you at your at your funeral or whatever and and yet you can you can just be a huge sinner with those sins going on in your heart you could be a racist and and in a church and 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 just kind of keep it hidden and no one will ever know and except God, and he's the most important one. So uh, we want, I want to get that in front of us today because we're going to have these two brothers, and one of them is going to be a red sin brother, and the other one is going to be a blue sin brother. So um, there you go. And uh, we're in this, what, it, what is my final series in, as I'm here now, and I'm calling it main, the main thing. And the idea is that when you can identify the main thing that other things will flow from it. Other truth comes out of it, and it helps us to see uh, Jesus Christ would be obviously the main thing in Scripture. And um, there's other things that are, are kind of in that same category that help us sort out truth. And we're going to look today at the beauty of the love of God, the beautiful love of God as something that helps us sort out these categories of good and evil. And uh, this particular story, the, it's probably, it's, it's usually considered in lists of, of the parables as like the, the crown of the parables. It's the most famous of all of the parables, the prodigal son. Uh, Martin Luther uh, said it, it was the gospel within the gospel, the gospel in its purest form. And we see clearly the love of God, the beautiful love of God expressed here. So um, I'm excited to come to this text this morning, and I think it might really, it, right, if your heart is open to it, the message could really change you. And um, yeah, that's that's what this story can do. It's powerful. All right. So we're going to look at it and take it in three sections. And the first one is we're going to look at these two uh, these two brothers, and then we're going to pause and reflect on their story. And then we're going to come back at the end to uh, calling it the last one standing. But it's you'll you'll see how how it works with the older brother. Okay, so um, there you go, and let's let's begin. And, and we didn't read verses one and two, but they're kind of the key. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back just a little bit here uh, in the section before what was read for us. And um, the, you have Jesus; he's. Uh, sitting at a table, it seems, eating with, and the, the phrase is tax collectors and sinners, and other, in, in quotes, people who are considered by uh, the culture at large to be bad people. And then the, those who are considered to be good people come up and they, they come on the scene and they're standing outside of this table circle. Uh, perhaps, and uh, they're looking down and muttering, does Jesus, does he know who he's eating with? Does he know who these people are? 
And of course, there's an attitude there. And then it's from that, and this is this is the key that is often missed in, in this. It is from that that Jesus then tells these actually three parables, the third one being the prodigal son parable. But the target of all of these parables, as it turns out, is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's aiming right at them. And we'll see that, I think, as we as we work through this. So uh, there's the first parable he tells. I'm just going to capture these in shortly here. But the first one is about 100 sheep, and there's one lost, and uh, the shepherd goes out and gets that one sheep. The second one is about a woman who loses a coin. She has 10 coins, and she finds that one coin. And now there's two sons, and there's one son who seems to be lost, and the other one who is at home. And let's just go with the, the one who is lost. This is this is the, usually what people mean by a prodigal son. He uh, has taken his share of the fortune, and he has gone off in search of wine, women, and song. And he has squandered his life, his wealth. As often happens, he becomes exhausted by his sin, his red sin. Uh, remember those categories. And now he is... Um, in that place of just inner desperation. And it says, the scripture says that he came to his senses. And he, in coming to his senses, there's a, a de- the development of a, a longing to go home. And he works it out in his heart that he wants to go home and just to be an, uh, like a slave or a, a laborer who can earn his way back into the house, earn his father's love and and uh, that's his approach. And so he's coming. And when he's a long way off, uh, we we see this um, beautiful picture. And this is this is one of the places I'm going to focus on today. And the other one will be later. But this beautiful picture of the father running out uh, in Middle Eastern culture. A father would never run. Uh, that's, that doesn't show dignity or decorum in their world. Uh, and he, to run, you have to pull up your robes. Uh, it, it's just an undignified thing. But this father, out of the love for his son, and maybe, maybe out of the wanting to protect him from the good people in the village who would not have liked to see this son coming home, because there's been disgrace here, not just upon the family, but upon the village itself. And this... Uh, Father is running out to his son. He embraces the son, throws his arms around the son's neck, and then speaks words of love and talks about a celebration that they're going to have in in the honor of this son who's now come home. He's he was lost and now he is found. And there's just there's great joy in the father. And here here's the thing I, I just want to I don't want to miss here is that it's real. I think it's really important for us. Jesus. The Holy Spirit records this story for us, at least in part, so that we can see ourselves being that younger son and the father running towards us with joy on his face. He is God and he wants us more than anything else. That picture is a gift to us of the beautiful love of God for us. And don't miss it. I mean, don't skim over that. Don't, don't speed read on that part. Dwell on it. Imagine yourself in that place. And the father, the, the thing that he gets across to the son is, you're not going to earn your way back into my house. 
There's no way. You're just going to, I love you. You're just going to be there. You're part of the house. Well, there's the beautiful love of God. Now, the older son, we'll just we'll touch on this now and then we'll come back to it later. But the older son is, uh, he sees all this and there's a, a celebration that is starting to take place in the home and he's standing outside. And as with the younger son, the father comes out to the older son. He loves him too. And he asks him to come into the home. And the older son, uh, remember the blue sense. <laughs> He's got those things operating in him. There's these cool, cold sins of the heart. And they're coming out a bit here. And we see that he wants a different way. Uh, he doesn't want to come he doesn't want the son to come into that home that way, and he doesn't want to come into the home that way. And um, basically, he says, "He says, no, I'm not. I'm not going to come into the house. Uh, I've worked hard. I've performed well. Uh, I, I've earned my way into this house, and now you've you've taken this house and made it into a place of of grace and mercy, and." Uh, that's not beautiful to him. It's not attractive to him. He doesn't want his father's house if that's how you enter. So there we have the two sons, and we'll come back to the older son in a bit. But I wanted to um, pause and reflect on that and uh, take it, uh, do some application here for us. And one of the things that would be helpful, I think, for us is to ask which son do you identify with maybe the most? Are you more of a younger son, a, a kind of an, a red sin sinner, or are you more of an older son? And you can say daughter. I don't want to, but from the story of son, that is more blue in, in cool, colder in, in spirit uh, and looking down on tends to look down on the red center. Which one are you more of? And you can, it, I'll just pause here for a sec. You can uh, turn to the person next to you if you have somebody there. You can just think about it if you want. But this is an opportunity for you to uh, enter in. Well, uh, having paused, uh, I'm going to share a little bit of just my own reflection, and maybe maybe it'll prompt something in you. But uh, during the my my the, most of my college years, I was in definitely in the uh, red sin or black sheep category. I think is how my parents would would say it. And um, I I'll just share this one thing, and that is that my best friend in college, his girlfriend, didn't like him uh, hanging out with me because I was a bad influence on him okay so there you go and I, I could share more about spending a night in jail but I won't share that that's it's Father's Day heck but um, then in this three year period that I talked about last week where um, 
I, between my atheism and my conversion, I, I was really trying harder. I was, I was trying harder to be a, a good person. And in there, I became more uh, respectable, more responsible. Uh, I'll say this, I, I voted Republican. I became more like my dad. And I, I mean that in a way that is honoring to him. And um, I don't know, I just, uh, for, for the most part, I, I really performed pretty well. And, you know, with a few moral lapses, but mostly unnoticed. And I was more of an older brother in those years. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, and I, I went from being the younger brother to the older brother and having, having more of a, a strong sense of morality, even with some failings that I knew about. Well, then I, I, I came to Christ, my conversion, and, and I would just say that I have temptations and tendencies towards both. And I, there are times where I'm tempted to be a bad, a bad person with the red sins. And there's times where I'm tempted to look down on the bad people with, and that would be a blue sin. I just hear that clearly, that this is where we're all going to get caught here. We're one of the, we're one of the other. You can't, you're in there somewhere. Is that a, uh, 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 the older brother tends to just look down on the younger brother, and that's a sin. That is a sin in and of itself. The younger, the older brother doesn't see it that way, but that's what Jesus is is trying to say in the story. All right, so um, I have a theory, and y- y- you may have heard me say this before, but it it's just harder. It's just not as clear for the older brother to see their sin, and and the younger brother. They don't always, I'm not saying they always come to their senses, that that's not the case, but they they just have a little bit, I think, easier time of identifying their sin as opposed to the older brother's sin. Uh, it's just more hidden, it's it's not, It's it, self-awareness isn't there, whatever. So I, I, a little story from when I was at the University of Washington. This was back in the mid-70s, and um, this if you're younger, this is like, this is going to sound really weird, but it used to be absolutely normal. And this is probably before my time at, at the U, but but normal in college classrooms for uh, people to be smoking, students to be smoking, as well as a professor. It's part of going to college. And if you talk to somebody old enough, uh, they, they would talk about that. And... and um, so this time when I was there was kind of in a transition time and maybe it wasn't as clear, just sort of finding our way. And I was I went to a, a lecture hall in Kane Hall, which is still there. It's a big lecture hall. And I was sitting uh, in, in a, a chair. It's kind of uh, tiered. And in, in the row in front of me was a guy and he lit up a cigarette uh, before the lecture. And a guy from behind me and I, I, I thought it was kind of weird. That, you know, I think there was a sign there somewhere that said no smoking. But, you know, we're still in transition on this. And a guy from behind me came down, grabbed the cigarette out of the guy's mouth, threw it on the floor, stamped it out, and said, how dare you smoke in here? And, you know, of course, the, the other. So you can see the older brother, younger brother uh, imagery here. And this... 
younger brother just, I mean, he was in shock, I think. He didn't say anything. And uh, he's kind of coward. And the older brother, you know, kind of looked full of himself and went back to his seat. Now, my question is, who's who's the... Who's the who's more likely to repent? First of all, who's the bigger sinner here? Who's got the red sin? Who's got the blue sin? I mean, it it was a um, it was just a, a something to behold, and it, it helps make clear what we're talking. I think what we're talking about here. It's it's easier to repent of our sin than it is of our righteousness. That's that's the line that. I think you can summarize this. It's just, you can see it. Uh, The red sins are more obvious. And those sins that have to do maybe with our own righteousness, our self-righteousness, really, uh, they're just harder to see. And we don't think we need to repent of those. That we we would classify somebody as a bad person. I mean, it's easier to see smoke than it is to see those sins of the heart. They're out, it's outward, inward, whatever. And... uh, so there you go. So another example of this uh, real quickly would be from Victorian England. Victorian England in the 19th century is by many considered a golden age. And, and if there was ever something that bordered on Christian culture, that would be it. I mean, the, God was mentioned everywhere and uh, there was a, an agreed upon morality. And um, uh, yeah, people were going to church and it just had this sense of, of, of Christianity that was influencing culture in a huge way. But um, there's, there's a, you know, it, it, folks, it was, a, it was an older brother culture. It was an older brother culture. And that, yeah, they, they had a way of, of identifying the red sins there. The whole culture did. I mean, it was... But the blue sins were rampant, and you had authors that, that I'll just, you know, you had Dickens and um, George Eliot and Thomas Hardy and others who identified, they made a living off of identifying the blue sins of culture, the hypocrisy of Victorian culture. And interestingly enough, and this I say this for those of you who long for a Christian culture, be careful what you wish for. Uh, and in that culture, it was... It, the, the mainstream religion of that day looked down upon as a younger brother, like I should say as an older brother looking down on a younger brother, the, the older brother religion of that day, the mainstream religion that held Christian culture together, looked down upon people who had an experience with God in Jesus Christ as being emotional and enthusiastic were the words. And uh, they trivialized real faith. Do you really want a big brother culture. Is that what this country wants? Not me. (laughs) No, thank you. And uh, we have to be careful with that. I'm going to come back to that in in the future here when we talk about more main things. But uh, let's, so those are, that's pause and reflection. Let's get back to the big brother and uh, the older brother and see how this story ends. He, uh, he, he, we left him there outside the home. And uh, he, he's, the father is there with him. And what he's saying is, I don't want to go back in there unless I can earn my way in there. I want to come through the door that is called performance, not mercy. I don't need mercy. And the father 
would say differently. You need mercy. And you just don't see it. But the father loves his older son. And he really wants him to come back in. And celebrate with his younger brother. But if the price of admission is to say, I need mercy, rather than I have performed well. He's not going to go in. And that's really sad. That's really, really sad. So back to the story of the, um, where, we, where we started. And I want you to remember that this whole story was told in, uh, directly at the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. They are the older brother. That's who they are. The younger brother would have been those uh, sinners and tax collectors. And so the, Jesus tells this parable, and it's like, well, guys, are you going to come into the house or not? Remember, they're all, they're all standing probably around this circle of sinners and tax collectors muttering, and Jesus is asking them to sit down. But the price of sitting down is mercy, to see that you need mercy. And so it's difficult. Just as the older brother, it was difficult for him to come into the house. It's difficult now for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to take their seat at the table of mercy. Well, we don't, um, we don't know. Uh, the, the story ends there with the older brother outside. We don't make, there's no clear ending to that story. And with the Pharisees, we don't see a reaction uh, at all. But what we, what we do know is that within a very short period of time, it, it's these blue sin people who put Jesus to death on the cross. Those are the ones who crucify Jesus. And I want you to see the beautiful love. I mean, this is like absolutely beautiful love of God. Is that when these blue sin older brothers nail Jesus to the cross, Jesus directs particular words from the cross to them, to his father. It's a prayer to the father. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Do you see the beautiful love of God there? It's, it's just uh, like who would do that? That's not, that's not normal. And it's so beautiful. And one other thing that's beautiful is when Jesus is crucified, he's given in a mocking way a royal robe. And that robe is purple. They dressed him in a purple robe. You see, he loves the red and the blue. The beautiful love of God in Jesus Christ for us. Let us pray. Let's um, look for the... The beautiful love of God. And I'm just going to maybe close your eyes again. Uh, can you see 
with your eyes closed, using your imagination, can you see God running towards you with joy on his face? Whether your sins are red or blue, can you see God running towards you, wanting to embrace you, wanting to celebrate your life in him? Can you see Jesus on the cross asking his Father to forgive your sins, whatever they are? Can you see in God's beauty, can you see his mercy? And can you see in God's mercy his beauty? the mercy, the beauty of God. And then, is there anything that you would want to say to God right now as you behold his glory, behold his beauty? Just say whatever words you have on your heart to God. Father, hear our hearts. Your love is beautiful. It's beautiful to us. And I pray that that love to be made known deeply in us, in all the dark corners of our hearts. We are such in such need of your mercy, Lord. Through Jesus Christ, we pray, who is the beautiful love of God personified for us. Amen.